Hey there, everyone. Uh, this is a written-out reflection um, that I had time to put together while I was on vacation, just reflecting back and um, thinking about some recent changes in my um, trajectory of faith. So, have a listen. When I was 15, I was at the far end of a several-year-long struggle with crippling anxiety. Um, not an uncommon story for kids nowadays. That can be a topic for another time. I was always a pretty scrawny kid, um, and more than that, I'm realizing that I have a very strong bodily sense. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 1, and I've got a 9-wing, and for those of you who are into that sort of thing, that means that a large portion of my thoughts are devoted to how my body feels. <laughs> um, I'm a, it, some people would call it a gut-driven uh, personality type. Um, and so by feelings, I don't mean emotions, uh, but more like corporeal sensation. Like I feel woozy at the sight of blood. Um, when someone hurts themselves in front of me, I can feel it. Like I get a s sense of shock that runs down my spine. Uh, I'm, fa I'm fairly pain-averse, because pain rings very loudly in my consciousness. Um, it always has. Uh, I'm no adrenaline junkie. I'm not a daredevil. I'm not much of a risk-taker. I'm kind of a homebody. Um, I like to stick to places where I'm comfortable. And so, growing up, there was a certain... Um, there were certain upcoming events that I was kind of thrown into that would give me great panic. Um, any sort of medical appointment would have fallen into this box. Uh, the sensation of being away from home would have also fit into this. Um, in short, I was very comfort-driven, uh, very control-driven, and my anxiety would bubble up as I considered the possibility of, be, uh, of any kind of upcoming discomfort. The irony in all of this is that I would only add to my discomfort in being overwhelmed by that anxiety. Um, but this reaction resides at a f uh, at a, le a level far deeper in the brain than logic has any dominion over. So one day, uh, on what I remember was a sunnier day uh, in 2014, I think it was 2014, um, I was in church and I was feeling the overwhelm. And honestly, I don't remember much about being in church, um, only about what happened afterwards. But anyways, I was stuck in my head, I was ruminating, I was stressing, and I was becoming agitated by my own fears again. Once church let out, I asked my dad if I could walk home by myself. Uh, we lived only about 20 minutes from the church, uh, walking speed, and so I felt, and I, and I kind of felt like I needed to clear my head. So um, he said yes, and I set out. Uh, the noise around me and within me was, was getting to be too much. Um, and so as I started walking home, I was mumbling to myself or maybe to God or to anyone who was listening um, deep in my spirit, maybe out loud a little bit too. Um, and I was up against what felt at the, time like, at the time like the limits of my own control, the existential abyss which began at the end of my effect on the world, at the end of my control on the world. This is where, uh, this was a moment where the locus of control, uh, felt so small, um, and my desperate grasping hands longed to reach into the uncontrollable and to take hold. I wanted to escape 
what I was afraid of. I wanted to feel more empowered, and I was lamenting how little power I felt like I actually had. So I prayed, uh, and I mumbled with my eyes cast down to my feet, watching each step surpass the last, but paying no attention to my surroundings, which is not a wise <laughs> decision when you're out in public. As I came to a crosswalk, I cried out in my soul to God, um, something to the effect of, you have to do something. You have to do something. Please, you have to do something. You have to help me. Um, and the particular request that I made eludes my memory. I don't really remember what it was exactly I was asking for, but I do remember the posture of a desperate beggar before a strange god. I was uh, signaled uh, I was signaled on by a driver stopped at the intersection, and I began trekking across the crosswalk. And I drooped my gaze back down to my feet, and as I walked, uh, lost in my own uneasy thoughts, I caught a glance of two tires sweeping past my feet in the top of my peripheral vision. I was maybe a foot or two away from being hit by a car. I don't know whether the driver was absent-minded or whether they just figured they could make it, but I was jolted. Uh, into the presence, or into the present, um, by this close call. I looked up with a shocked expression and ran across the rest of the crosswalk, my heart pumping in my chest. And once I got to the other side, I stopped, and I felt a sudden, unexplainable peace overtake the adrenaline rush. Without words, the sense came over me that I had a father watching over me, far more capable and sturdier than me, who cared for me. And the words of Christ echoed in my ears. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And again, can any one of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And also of David, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In my loneliness in the world, God had come to meet me, and not merely the God of many superstitions that prior to this had occasionally graced my imagination, but a God who covenanted to care for me, who promised his provision and supervision over my life. Um, fast forward many years to my first few, few, first few years of college, and this experience had become a pillar of my theology, a guidestone that I treasured and regularly leaned on. Uh, it grounded my faith like an Ebenezer, a statue erected in response to God's mighty salvation. I soon was introduced to the debates between high and low views of God's sovereignty, often categorized into Calvinism and Ar Arminianism, uh, even though these are merely soteriological stances, um, stances pertaining to mechanics of salvation, and they don't really touch um, the question of providence, um, at least not directly. Um, Nevertheless, I began to cling hard to the sovereignty of God over all things, because any other description would undercut the foundation of my faith. That sunny day in 2014, when God told me that he was in control where I wasn't in control. So I became deeply reformed. I went through my cage stage Calvinist phase, aggressively and arrogantly pointing everyone to the veracity of the so-called doctrines of grace. But one thing remained unsolved for me. The God of Calvin is often presented as first and foremost, the omni-god, the god of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, the prime mover, the efficient cause. Uh, he ends up 
no matter how uh, pathos-oriented the conversations around him get, um, in doctrinal discussions, he ends up boiled down to this. Um, and so my, ga my god became indistinguishable from the god of Aristotle, or the god of Plato. He became the abstract god with blind potential, free in every direction, unaccountable to anyone, cold and predestining. In my own attempts to fight for his sovereignty, my god became heartless and alien. And I'm now realizing that the reason I landed on this picture of God is that I didn't begin with the God of Israel or the God revealed in Jesus Christ when piecing together my puzzle. I started with the claims of vague and scholastic theism um, of the philosophers turned theologians, or even those who didn't turn to be theologians, Aquinas and Augustine, Plato and Aristotle, um, and many others. And thus, my God began to look as rigid and impersonal as a logical syllogism or a mathematical proof. I believed in a God that would move for nobody, whose only concern was his own exaltation and glory. I began to believe in, uh, in an at-best robotic God, and at worst, a, nar a narcissistic one. And this played its way out in my understanding of discipleship as well. The best prayer was the one that was blind um, and surrendered uh, submission to the mysterious will of God. Suffering was entirely God's idea, and we ought to just get used to it. Assurance of salvation was impossible, because at any rate, um, or at, uh, sorry, at any second, um, God could release you from your faith, and thus proving that you were never faithful to begin with. God was utterly opposed to us, and our totally depraved natures so much so that he took, it, uh, took all that he could uh, to keep from wiping us all off the face of the earth again, and again, my desire to keep God's sovereignty pure led to heartless theological conclusions. I proclaimed a God who had no room for human weakness or our diseased wills. I proclaimed a God whose love was merely superficial and whose power was the true essence of his being. I can now say that, bless my heart, I wasn't, I don't think I was, seeing the whole picture. My ferocious defense of sovereignty blinded me to God's love. I started with abstraction and philosophical necessity, only then adding a thin veneer of God's revelation of himself in Adonai and Jesus. I've set out over the last few years to reorient my theology around the person of Jesus, thanks to, my, uh, to, thanks to the theology of Bart and Bonhoeffer and a couple of people who have sprung out um, in their wake, and even a couple of my friends who have um, kind of walked with me um, in discovering uh, a very Christ-centered theology. I've come to see the incarnation no longer as just an appendix or as an odd or as an add-on uh, to our theological um, or our, our theology proper, but as the source of purest theology, um, as the clearest look into the inner life of God. And this means that if God is sovereign, His sovereignty is directly tied to His love, to His grace, and His care for humanity. If He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful um, to be for us who he says he'll be for us in Jesus Christ. If God is free, he's free to be who he is in Jesus. Um, free to burn with love for his ailing creatures. Free to adopt the orphan. Free to heal the sick and to provide for the poor. And free, ultimately, to give himself as a ransom for many. In his freedom, he's free to bind himself to whoever he wishes. And in Jesus, we learn that he chooses us 
the sinners, his enemies, those who are strangers. The irony in all of this is that I feel like I'm only more faithful now in my understanding of the God who met me that day, um, uh, that sunny day in 2014. The God who was not so self-interested as to leave me to myself, but rather the one who bound himself to me, who promised to take care, uh, to take care of me, um, who opened me out of myself. I'm convinced that I didn't meet some sort of distant sky god that day, but rather that through the Spirit I met the Father of Jesus Christ, who in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, and who that day reconciled me to himself. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thanks for joining me.